Level Up Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vettel, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Level Up Latina podcast. Today, we have Paulette Piñero as our guest. Paulette is a trailblazer who has dedicated her career to run and develop programs in the nonprofit sector. After surviving her fight with COVID-19, Paulette decided to dedicate her life to helping Latinas flourish in business. In 2020, Paulette created Lead Media, LLC, to assist the Latinx community in business, leadership, and entrepreneurship. We are excited to have you, Paulette, and to learn more about your work. And welcome. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you. Very excited to spend the day with (laughs) y'all. As we mentioned, we're excited too. There's uh, so much that you that you've done and that you're working on that really inspires us as well. And there are things that are very you know necessary in our community. So we're glad to have you on today. Um, so before we kick start our conversation and get going, tell us more about yourself. Tell us about your background, your upbringing, all of that good stuff. So I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, I was born and raised in San Juan. Um, half of my life, and then in Ponce, Puerto Rico, and people from Ponce, which is in the southern area of Puerto Rico, are very proud. So if I don't mention it, I feel like, you know, I might have issues and problems with folks when I go visit. So I have to. So yeah, I'm from Ponce too. I just have to mention. That. <laughs> uh, okay, you guys heard that? Okay, everyone. Yeah, you heard clear. it. Okay. Okay. Mentioned okay. He's recognizing. Yeah, yeah. Ponce. I I can go back home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So I, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and um, I was raised by my both of my grandmothers. I lived with my mom, but mostly with my grandmothers. And the last eight years today, I have lived in Massachusetts. So I move up. Yeah, I moved eight years ago to Massachusetts with my familia, with my husband and my two kids. And this is where I have spent uh, the last couple of years of my career working in the nonprofit field, too. And um, I call Massachusetts my my second home. I it took me a little while to get used to the snow and the cold. And now I go to Puerto Rico and I'm like, what is this? And my mom's like, <laughs> did you know that? Like you lived here, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm like, I where's the AC? I can do this. Bring me my chunky sweater. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so Massachusetts, it's it's my second home. <laughs> I hear you. So congratulations. It's been eight years. Um, you kind of mentioned a little bit of that, that change, the drastic weather, you know, Puerto Rico being like vacation mode in our, in our heads, right? In our minds, warm, tropical, it's home for you. But then Massachusetts has been your home for eight years now. And besides the weather, the drastic climate changes, what, how was that transition for you, you know, from your homeland to your new home of Massachusetts? It was very hard, um, not only for myself, but for my kids. It The reason why we decided to move was because I have a son with uh, disabilities, and we had been looking for services for almost two years in Puerto Rico, the, the services and the evaluations that he needed. And my husband and I, after struggling a lot, we sold everything 
And we put the four of us in a one bedroom in his parents' house in Boston. So yeah, it was it was very hard for me and my family. And one of the the biggest changes was when I started working because I had worked in the nonprofit field. I had worked in higher education in Puerto Rico. And I started looking for jobs and it was kind of easy to get online interviews and phone interviews. But once I went into the workforce, it was completely different. Um, I would, I didn't lie to myself. I wasn't thinking that things would be perfect and roads were paid of gold. <laughs> and, you know, what, what people say about the American dream, I wasn't expecting that. But I, I did expect to find opportunities. And if I was applying for jobs and I was getting responses, I was getting offers, that meant that I was, you know, at least being valued or, uh, and I was applying to, to organizations that align with my professional values. And what happened was that what every person of color goes through where you're working the hardest you're being paid the lowest. And in my case, what I experienced was when I tried to apply for management or director positions, I was being told, you would be great, but we need you here. Mm. My bosses were white and they were very open of because you're the hardest working person or because you go above and beyond or because you go, uh, you do more what, than what your job description says, I was getting stuck. So rather than growing in my career because I was doing a great job, I was being, I was stuck because I was doing things right. And that, you know, that was something that I had to battle and, and build my assertive voice and be able to say it's time to leave and it's time to move on. And I remember uh, one of my first jobs in Massachusetts, there was a big, uh, you know, there was a group of half of the office was Latinx, were Latinos. And you know, we were getting the scholarships and we were getting the funds and we were doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And some of them had been working at the organization for 15, 20 years. And I said, well, why are you not applying? And they said, why would I apply? They're, I'm going to be here. So I do work on the side or I do consulting. <laughs> and the, they had the part, they were part of the hustle, <laughs> side hustle community. Mm -hmm. And I was baffled to see folks that I was looking up to that were becoming my mentors being at the same uh, level and positions as I was because they just knew that they were not going to be given the, the same opportunities. And as I was raising two children to be very assertive, I was, I was raising a daughter, it's very difficult to tell your child you know, you can do it and work hard and, and then going through that myself as, as a Latina trying to grow in my career. And that's kind of how I turned it in, in my growth and my struggle. I turned it into a business. 
Nice. And I think that's just in our nature, right? We're like um, the hustle like a Latina, just hustle and work hard. And it, there's more to it. There's a more to it than just the working hard and, and the accomplishments. And it's where we find our voice. It's until we find our voice to really mm -hmm. speak up and be assertive and be like, look, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm capable of. Now you need to compensate me the same way. And many times also finding that voice in us to tell us, that when enough in a workplace is enough, we have, we're loyal to a fault. We've talked about this before. Yeah. <laughs> that we're just always supposed to be so grateful for the opportunities. I mean, I can just imagine, you know, having had transitioned from home to establish a new home, you know, from Puerto Rico to Massachusetts, you know, you're looking for a better opportunity for your family, for your son, you know, who has, um, disabilities and you mentioned you're like I'm looking for this and then plus you're trying to establish yourself again as a professional so you're starting all over yeah so then it's be it's beautiful that transition right that that process the 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 morphing into this new person that you are and do you think it played a role the fact that you're like you know what I need to let go of my beliefs as what I grew up in Puerto Rico believing that I can do and now here I am facing reality and, and things that are being, you know, thrown at me. But during the, you know how everyone was like, so like Puerto Rico, oh, you guys are immigrants? You guys are U.S. citizens, right? You're, you're Americans. Oh, God, I've been asked, if I get asked one more year if I'm celebrating Cinco de Mayo, if I have internet. <laughs> or your English uh, is so good. How about that? When they tell oh, you your yeah, English is your so English good. Oh, yeah, your English is so good. Yeah. Do you have McDonald's? Do you have, an, do you have Wi-Fi? Um, oh my God, I've been asked and I just look and I'm like, uh, or they're like, yeah, because you know, the immigrant community, you're part of it. And that, that I think that has been one of the areas where I have committed to do a lot of personal development because, you know, I, I want to be honest too. It's comfortable for folks to, uh, I was still able to grow in my career because it's comfortable for folks, right? I, I have children. Mm -hmm. I am not white passing, but I'm light skin. Mm. Uh, you know, I have straight hair. Um, I am married to a man. So there's a, a lot of, I am, I am not an immigrant, right? I, I don't need to, to ask for visa or you know I don't need to ask for those supports I can travel home whenever I want to so I check a lot of the boxes of mm -hmm. if I was in a group of, of Latinas and some and there was a promotion it was easier for me to get it because yeah. I, 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 I fit most of the boxes and but then they want you to become the representative of Latinos. And mm. I will have to be like, no, I do not understand the, <laughs> um, you know, immigration policies in the U.S. And I, yeah. I had to learn not just not because I wanted to be a representative, because I was in positions of privilege and power just from being Latina, um, born and raised in Puerto Rico. And then understand what that privilege meant and to step back many times or call out situations where uh, Latinos who were immigrants or folks of color who were immigrants didn't have that space to do it and be able to kind of like check myself of like, Paulette, you're, this is not, you know, shut up <laughs> <laughs> and elevate the voice of someone else because yeah. 
this is not a shared experience for you. And I don't have the right to talk about it. I do want to be able to know, uh, kind of like see the red flag of when it's happening or when someone is saying something about the immigrant community to be able to step back and bring someone else. I love that because it's obviously you're self-aware that sometimes we're tokenized if we are the one that's the, well, let's, let's rise up this Latina. She checks that box. But also there are 33 Latin American countries. So exactly. like, I'm one voice of over 30. So I don't know about Cinco de Mayo. I sh shouldn't have to, <laughs> you know, yeah. I shouldn't have to speak <laughs> to that. Um, and it just happens so much. So thank you for being strong and finding a, a career in that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I say I, I turned my struggles and my years of learning into a business because I said, oh my God, I was privileged enough to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, to be able to apply to the jobs that I wanted, to negotiate 10, 15, 20, $25,000 and have the confidence to do it. Now I have, <laughs> like now that I have all this power and all this knowledge, it just cannot stay with me. Like it's, it's unfair. And I mm -hmm. was managing other Latinas, I was managing black women and I was seeing now, you know, you have access to the budgets and now that you are the one requesting the budgets and um, entry level white women earning 10, $15,000 more than women of color mm. who had been working at companies and have 15, 20 years of career experience that were doing double the work. And I was <laughs> on yeah. the download teaching them how to negotiate their salaries with me. <laughs> so that's so what you're going to say. Yeah. That's what you're going to ask. When I tell you <laughs> yeah. you're going to say no, and it's going to be three times. Yeah. It's so funny because I totally identify with that experience in my corporate world and you get an a, a, a definitely a feel in the nonprofit sector that is it's pretty much the same thing right when you go mm -hmm. into work you're like okay but it's corporate world for some reason everything's just so it, it's a little more hidden and until you're in positions of management into positions of like really looking in and questioning having access to that budget having access to to all these reports that t that give you the information that you can say like okay now i have mm -hmm. this for the record i have proof that there is, you know, inequality in pay. There's, you know, this is, there's something we've got to do. And I've, I, I, I totally agree with you in the sense of like having a coach, feeling that responsibility of taking other women that maybe aren't, lo don't look like me. Like, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I'm a light-skinned Latina, Mexican-American. You know, I do have the curly hair, but I always felt this responsibility towards women that did not have their voice, that had not found their voice yet and, and helping build them up. And we that's why kind of we transitioned into also starting, you know, Irene and Ceci, we've all had different experiences where we started, decided to start Level Up Latina, but it was a part of that. So for you, like starting your company, like how did you decide that it would be going into the nonprofit sector? I know you said that information you just couldn't tell us, but how did it, what was the experience for you in transitioning, like doing that, going into that nonprofit sector and starting your business? So I had been doing a lot of consulting work and pro bono work for other nonprofits as I was working. Um, and I always wanted to do consulting. I really loved the work that I was doing. Um, 
at work, but I saw so many opportunities to be able to scale that work or not being restricted by the funders of that organization and be able to help grassroots organizations and and, and replicating some of the systems that I was doing. I was building strategy uh, to expand programming across the nation or in new states. I was uh, very focused on business development for nonprofits, which is an area that I love. And people are like, what? Business development, nonprofit? That doesn't make sense. And I'm like, yes, let's make those ourselves self-sufficient and continue to grow and provide better services and being more impact-driven. So I was doing this work And I was like, oh, what if this organization could do it? And connecting with board members. And they were like, wait, I love the work that you're doing. I will love for you to do it with us at a smaller scale or a bigger bigger scale or help us develop our strategic plan. And I started to draft a business plan around three years ago of the things that I wanted to do. And then I was like, well, I one of the things that wakes me up in the morning is this coaching and and folk very focused on talent strategy piece. Uh, that's what excites me the most. I love doing a check-in. <laughs> I love doing team meetings. I love building professional development plans. I love hiring and, and training new staff. I love building leadership pipelines. And some of that work I was just doing for my team, presenting it to executive leadership. And then they were like, hey, do you want to replicate or do you want to share this? Uh, launching diversity, equity, and inclusion councils. So I... I wrote that in into the business plan as I was going. But I felt that, you know, this is a business that I might start when I'm when I retire, or this is a business that I I will start when everything's what it really comes down to is I was striving for perfection. And that that never happens. (laughs) Perfection. It's never never yeah, it's never Yeah, it's not real. So I kept waiting and postponing. And uh, back in 2019, I got laid off um, from my job and with a great package. And my husband's like, we we have an unwritten rule that we support each other. We talk to each other about everything except career decisions. It's only if we ask the other person. And my husband was like, you know, I don't like to get involved. You're doing great with your career. You should do it. Because I knew the layoff was coming um, and I had prepared for it and I had offers already. But he was like, why don't you launch that business that you've been talking about? I'm like, no, no, no. You know, I need more years of experience. He was like, you have 15. (laughs) Like, come on. Like, No, 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 not yet. Not yet. No, no, no. It's like, no, because I need this and I need that and the perfect website and the logo. He's like, I'm a designer. So that's not an excuse. (laughs) And I, I decided to, to take another position. And after like giving the taste of like opening the business plan (laughs) and, you know, kind of like um, making my relationships, my consulting relationships more serious and and started uh, doing the freelance work as a business owner. And I, I do business coaching. And I the first thing that I tell my clients is you will never call this a side hustle in front of me. 
they're like, what? But it, it, no, it, you're, you're an entrepreneur. You might be a free, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you say freelancer, but you will, <laughs> you will yeah. not call it a side hustle because you, you know, you have to treat it as a business because that's the experience that your client wants to have with you. And you still have to do all the work. So this is not a side hustle. This is your business. And when I started to change that mindset, it was just so exciting. And I I had finally found a position that I thought it was perfect. I was working in, in educational policy. But after you know, after that taste and like having, I left my business plan open for months in my Google Drive as a tab and I went back to it and added and I just couldn't, couldn't stop thinking about it until I talked to my husband and I said, I was working 12 hour days traveling and I said, I think this is what I want to do. It's like, great you've been no 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 like full time he's like oh (laughs) well you know (laughs) it's another conversation (laughs) uh, you know yeah you you earn more than me but are you sure (laughs) and we had a we had a family meeting and my kids were so excited because I I wasn't miser. I always thought because I worked always in the nonprofit field, I had this incorrect belief that because I was doing impact-driven work in nonprofits, that meant that I was doing impact-driven work for myself. I was tying my dreams and my professional beliefs into the mission and vision of the organization. So my bucket was my passion bucket was only being filled by the nonprofits I was working with. And I had to realize and change my mindset that I can still do impactful social equity work in other ways and that I could still work with nonprofits as a volunteer or as a board member or having them as clients. And I was still pushing for the same ideals that I wanted to see in my community and, and the world. And it was Valentine's day. And that was my last day at my job. And I said, I'm going to take this weekend and I'm going to start working on leap media on Monday. And that Monday was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> and I have been working on the media uh, ever since, even though COVID tried to stop it. Yeah, we know about that. <laughs> that was that was a really inspiring story. I've also been in the nonprofit field for almost 20 years now. And I see a lot of parallels in your story and my story where deep down, I always knew that there were so many barriers in that field. Mm-hmm. And so when I got into the field, I was very quick to look for how do I become the boss here? Because otherwise you kind of get stuck in that mid-level or the there's there's a saying that you wear all these hats in nonprofit and you definitely get paid for one or two of those 25 hats that you're wearing. Oh yeah. So you know that. And there's all these stigmas and stereotypes with nonprofits, but they're businesses. And deep down I've always been more of an entrepreneur than anything. So I just thought, how can I find 
my place and my space as a CEO of an organization that's a nonprofit, but like you not be too tied to it. Like it's not mine. It's not my nonprofit mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I didn't start this. There's a founder, there's a mission, but I definitely wanted to be in an organization that I was really connected to the mission because as you know, we fundraise and the best way to fundraise is to really align with the work. So it sounds like you have the perfect world. You got to align with different nonprofits. You got to understand the impact part. I'm hearing from you. It's leadership. It's working with Latinas. It's working with women. It's this equity piece. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. And it's the talent development piece. So it makes a lot of sense that you would go out on your own, start your own business and do this with your terms, but also with that nonprofit spirit, like you said, as a volunteer or support nonprofits, which is, I think, one of the best things that any business can do, which is have a community impact program like ours, or to have a business like yours that supports nonprofits. But I want to pluck out from Lean Media, the work that you do around that equity and inclusive talent piece, those strategies, and then now with, you said COVID maybe try to derail you, but things have kind of changed now with everybody, no matter if you're profit or nonprofit, mm-hmm. working remotely. So that working remotely piece has kind of changed all of our businesses. So tell me a little bit more about that as it relates to Lead Media. So I worked remotely the past, even before I launched my business, um, I have been working remotely for the past five and a half years. I might have stopped at the office maybe once a week to see folks, but I've always, um, I worked in, in, I was a manager for home care for the city of Boston for many years, and I was working remotely. And then um, in education nonprofits, I was working remotely, or I might have gone to the office because (laughs) I wanted to get out of the house, but I had staff in Connecticut and California and Atlanta. So I was all constantly traveling. um, So I was able to work remotely. And I, you know, I learned best practices to not only build leadership and manage teams, but do it remotely. So when um, the pandemic hit and a lot of companies and organizations had to shift their strategic plans, have to shift the way that they manage staff, I was like, wait, I know how to do this. And I've been teaching organizations how uh, to build um equitable, diverse, and inclusive workplaces remotely already. So uh, that's when I decided, yes, this is an area that I want to provide support to nonprofits um, with my consulting. And whether that is hiring folks um, who understand or are prepared to manage uh, employees remotely, to teaching organizations how to best support um, employees that are remotely, then how can you build community and how can you build, uh, have a positive work culture? So that's part of what I do with my consulting. And then the other equity piece is I have done programming and growth strategy, but how can we grow or scale our programming while still being respectful for the needs of the community. Right now, I'm helping a New York City nonprofit expand their programming to other areas of New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. But it's not just doing it. It's not just like, here's the funder. It aligns with what we have. Let's copy the curriculum. No, let I do the the local research, build local partnerships, identify what are the needs, and then change programming to make sure that we are implementing what the community identifies as a need. So the program becomes part of the community, even if it was started 
because of the needs of New York City students. And I have done that in the past with other organizations that are looking to expand their program or are looking to expand their reach. How can you still uh, put social equity before everything else? Because if not, then that mission and vision that you have on that website and that strategic plan, it, it was just something nice that a consultant billed you $150,000 to do and write. I might do it even for cheaper. So how do you stay mission oriented and respecting the needs of a community while still doing great work that aligns with your priorities? Love that geared towards this community, which we're so deeply passionate about. Tell us what brought you to that decision. Why make that distinction? Kind of like we did with Level Up Latina. So I knew that I wanted to work with folks that were passionate about what they did. And I have clients who are not, don't identify as Latinos or are not Latinos. Sorry. But I knew that number one, most of the nonprofits or all of the nonprofits serve Latinos, whether it's children, older adults, adults, we are everywhere, number one. And the organizations that I have worked with or that I, I provide consulting are mostly urban nonprofits and they serve a large amount of Latino clients or Latino communities. So I wanted to make sure that I was mentioning that I work with the Latinx community because these organizations are serving Latinos but they don't know the needs of Latinos and they're not even doing the research. It's like demographics, 60%, 40%, 80% Latinx. Leadership does not represent the community and the priorities of the community, of the Latinx communities are not there. So I wanted to make the distinction there first. And secondly, um, in my 15 years of work, I've had to hire a lot of contractors and consultants and none of them none of them were Latinos. You're so true to my heart right now. I have to like interrupt. Like I know, like it's like you almost have to make a concerted effort to be like, yes, but find me a grant writer that speaks Spanish, like legitimately, like find exactly. me a grant writer that actually is a Latina or whatever. Find me an accountant. It's like, sadly, it's always this older white person. So you got to dig. And I know I'm stereotyping and probably pigeonholing, but you're absolutely right. It's the ones that are the business owners and the consultants that don't look like us. So we have to make a conscious effort. So you knew, let me point yeah. that out. Let me say to you directly, company XYZ, you're so excited about the Latinos in your after school program, but your board doesn't have a Latino, your staff oh, yeah. doesn't have a Latino, all your consultants are Caucasians or whatever it may exactly. be. Exactly. And representation. And then you see companies that are making diversity, equity, and inclusion statements that are providing demographics of their staff and are diverse. So they're diversifying their staff mostly not leadership, but let's say they're doing a little bit of that work, but you see the contractors, you see the providers, you see the printing companies, you see every entrepreneur and partnership that they have outside of that nonprofit. And it's with white folks. And I wanted to make sure that they knew I was Latina, that they knew I wanted to work with Latinos, that I they knew that I wanted to focus on uh, Latinx communities and professionals of color. So that we, because 
we need to stop this. Like this yes. is it. it. It needs to stop. You cannot say that you're committing to serving black and brown children and not have the staff to represent those communities. You cannot say you're committed to black and brown children where the decision makers and the board members are not representative of the community and not just in color and not just what we're born, but people from the community. And you cannot say you want to diversify uh, your staff when you're giving every single cent for mostly white folks to other white folks through contracts. So yeah. I wanted to make sure that I, in a, in a sea of folks that don't understand our communities, serving our communities, I was also an option. And that for the, especially the women of color, that are being have fought twice, three, four times as hard to get into mm -hmm. those leadership positions that there were options to of hiring folks that look different, folks that were also small business owners and had the experience of being part of the community. I know what it is to get food stamps. I know what it is to struggle and uh, have four people living <laughs> in one bedroom in Boston. I, I have been through all of it. And I and I wanted for the Latinas and the um, Black women who were growing into leadership to have options when they were hiring consultants and small business owners to support the work that they were doing. And if there's data from the Department of Labor that says that you know, Latinos, we uh, build the most businesses, but we're unable to scale because we don't have access to funding, because we don't have the support to be able to scale our businesses to earn more than a million dollars. That's one piece. But the other piece is that we don't get the support or the exposure. So I, I wanted to be, I've always been a disruptor. My grandma has always said that she has bill money for me because I will go. <laughs> Disrupt. <laughs> yeah. She was like, when, um, last year over the summer, she was like, oh my God, are you going to the March? Like, uh, do I need to get the bail money out? And I'm like, you might, Abuela, you might, you know, send it, to, send it, to, send it on Venmo. You got Venmo, you got PayPal. Um, <laughs> so I, I want it. I said, if I'm going to do this, it, I just cannot half ass it. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, if I, if I have, even though I'm a, business owner, my business is a social impact business, and I have to do it across the board. And I continue to learn and push myself to do it and to do anti-racist work um, and and do a lot of unlearning because I was still raised in a colonized island um, and I have to do a lot of unlearning. But I, I try to continue to to disrupt and and offer something different to to the organizations that I always love to. I love that. I really do appreciate that best of both worlds. Like you get to be a for-profit company that is a social impact company. So you still get that bit of that nonprofit support and actually changing a sector that needs that needs a lot of this. Everything you've identified, you know, it's the thing that's often not said that the leadership isn't diverse and the staff is tokenized and it's not connected to really who you serve. If, the people that you serve, you have no life experience similar to theirs. So how can you make a decision for them? You know, how can you? I work with kids that are all going to be the first in their family to go to college. So my story, where the people have heard it 
50 times or 5,000 times, I'm going to always say it was the first in my family to go to college. My brothers all mm -hmm. dropped out of high school. My mom was a single mom. We were raised in Inglewood, lots of communities similar to the communities we serve here in Long Beach. And people get these big, bright eyes. And at first, it was an interesting thing. Like, do I want to share so much about myself? Do I want to put it out there? Is it shameful to my family? And then I thought, well, that's what makes me good at this work that I get it. So when I'm speaking to my board members, which originally when I came into my board, they were all like older white men and maybe one white woman. I thought I have to lead with that because I think that it has to suddenly become their idea that like, yeah, we're not diverse. Like Irene's always that voice or so have mm -hmm. to tell us that or remind us or say this or that or the other. And the board themselves luckily came into their own and it was a lot of pushing and probing from my way of being and our staff being diverse, but they diversified. And then everything happened in 2020 where I, I think the board at least felt for us in my particular case, Ooh, we've been having these diversity questions and talking about this policy and not having it be this fake thing that we throw on our website for several years now. So at least they felt like, well, they can't come at us for that. But like, how are we taking care of our staff? Then it turned into like a mental health thing. And are people taken care of? Yeah, we have this diverse staff, but they're being hit with COVID too, personally. And that's why you started your company. You said you were hit personally by this COVID thing that really, are you on strong footing? Do people in the nonprofit sector make enough? My latest thing has been to funders. Yeah, it's great. Pay us to do all this work. But when staff's getting stimulus checks, I don't think they're running out to get therapy. I don't think they're doing that. They need more money. They need money to get things like therapy for themselves, not just therapy for the students, because we do that as part of my work. And it's just this other idea that like, take care of the person doing the work. And entrepreneurs, boy, do we know that well, we can work 100 hours a day. Yeah, <laughs> if it was possible, right? We would do it because honestly, it's just our baby and want to get after it. But also entrepreneurs need all the support they can get. And like you said, Latinos, where do they go? Who do they turn to all this muck? So it's really great that you've said, well, we're going to call it out. We're going to do what we need to do. What is the top tip you would give to Latina-owned businesses to move forward in 2021? Stop waiting until it's perfect. Just <laughs> stop. Just <laughs> my kids hate that when they are like, hey, mom, do you want to watch a movie? And my first option is always Frozen 2. I love Frozen 2. I will not be shamed for it. <laughs> and one of one of the lines is that um Anna is crying after El sorry if you haven't seen it. Um she No girl, spoil it, spoil it. <laughs> spoil it. Um you have she, a great point. I can feel it. <laughs> she she Elsa dies or gets frozen, and Anna just starts crying and says, just take the next step because she's trying to keep going after knowing that her sister has passed. And I I felt that. <laughs> yeah. Um because you don't, you know, it's okay. It's okay to set goals. It's okay to see, you know, visualize yourself being successful, what you want to achieve, but you have to start and it doesn't need to be perfect. Just take that next step. What can you do right now to get you closer to that goal? You know, maybe it is waking up. Maybe it is just, just, doing some exercise, maybe it is make, sending that text message. I tell folks um, when I do speaking engagements or during coaching, what is that ridiculously small step you're going to do today that it's so tiny, so ridiculously small that you cannot say no, that it, there's nothing that can happen to stop you from doing it. So that's what I would encourage uh, Latina entrepreneurs to do. Find every day what's that ridiculously small step 
that's going to get you walking to reach your goals. I love that. You know, Vito likes to call me the queen of progress, not perfection. But I think for my own state of mind, like I think perfection never gets results. You're going to think, 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 think about Mm -hmm. things and think about things and think about things, but they're just in your mind. But progress does get results. So even if it's the smallest thing, like you said, you actually move your life forward. And I love what you said earlier about it's not a side hustle because if things are a side hustle, you'll always treat them like a side hustle. Mm -hmm. And that's not really a very perfect scenario either, but it's safe. You know, safety, Mm -hmm. that overthinking, that not doing anything about it is so safe, but you don't build a business in that safe zone because overthinking is very safe. Like you, Mm -hmm. when you're in a place of not moving things forward, it's so, so safe. And whether you realize it or not, but you're keeping yourself from doing the uncomfortable things that move you forward that actually get your business results. So even if it's the most ridiculously tiny thing, I'm going to keep that in mind. I hope our listeners hear that because it's scary to go it on your own. Like we don't want to glamorize entrepreneurship right now. And everybody like, oh, it's going to be the easiest thing I've ever done. Like, it's worth it. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But if you do it where you treat it with that respect, where it isn't a side hustle and you do get support and you do have coaching, when people ask us about coaching, I say, if you don't have a coach, things are going to be a lot harder. Having yeah. a coach is in every scenario, having a coach makes it easier. I mean, why do sports teams need them? Yeah. Why does anybody need a coach? I mean, mentors, it's going to be harder without it, but sure, go for it. So there's also all these hacks for entrepreneurs. If it's that coach, that Reen, it's Veto, it's Essie saying, move forward, move forward. What's that ridiculously small thing? I have a client right now that we've been working together three months and we meet once a month really for an hour to dig into things, but we we talk a lot offline. And so three days out of the week, she's texting me what she's doing. And that's all intentional. Like I want to mm-hmm. hear from her. I constantly want to hear from her. And I know that with her, it'll work to feel like she has to tell me what was that ridiculously small thing or what was that big thing? Or she has to tell me all the things she's feeling bad about because she's so hard on herself and she's doing so well and she's moving things forward and she's badass. But also when we're searching for perfection, yeah. right? We need someone in our ear to say it was progress and that was great. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really great tip of the day for all of our listeners. Even if it's a ridiculously small thing, progress is better than nothing and it doesn't have to be perfect. Exactly. So- I have a constant reminder on my that I wear in my hand and I haven't taken it off for probably now three and a half years. And it was a bracelet I bought for myself and one of our dear friends, um, Evelyn. And it's, uh, at first it started off as a working out thing. And then, um, but when I really, when I bought the little bracelet, it has the image of a woman like running. Oh, it's nice. like you know, taking a step. And then the back is just like a little dumbbell, but it's a reminder constantly on my hand to do that little, that step. Take, just keep moving forward, keep moving forward and stay strong as, as strong as you can without, you know, being, um, being true to yourself in the sense of not, let me be perfect and I'm not o- always okay, but just staying strong in, in who I am and keep moving forward. So that's, we always need those little reminders and whatever way we can find them. Yeah. And mess up. It's fine. I, you know, I tell people I've made many mistakes. I thought my business was going to be one thing and it turned into another. I second guess myself. It's okay to make the mistake. Celebrate constantly. I didn't get the job or I didn't like the offer or that's fine. How are you going to celebrate? That's always my first question. How are you going to celebrate? What did you learn from this? What are you taking with you to move forward? That was not the right job for you or not the right opportunity for you. How are we going to celebrate that? Because you're not going to be stuck in a job for a year that does not align with what you want for yourself. Or what did you learn? 
you learn something new. This took a lot of unlearning because it's between perfection and calladita de ves más bonita, kind of clashing all the time and celebrating the small wins, but also the failures because you learn from those, you get better from those, and you're when you celebrate, you're able to move forward from those even easier. Beautiful. Thank you. You know what, Paulette? I, I really enjoy having this platform because every time we talk to one of our guests, it's, it's, we always, always, it's so, so relatable because as Latinas and now as entrepreneurs and, and with your story today, you know, we definitely uh, relate, right? As coaches, as women, as professionals and, and as, uh, as moms. And I love your comment about frozen because God knows that, you know, we've seen frozen <laughs> at one and two, so many times my, my girls like want to play frozen every single day. And it's, it's been what, like two years, I don't know, two years that they're so into it, but the, it, you know, it never gets old, it never gets old. So that kind of segue a little bit about um, the next topic that we want to chat with you about. And um, earlier you said that, you know, one of the reasons why you moved from Puerto Rico to Massachusetts was because you, you couldn't find the resources for your child. And you mentioned that you have a child with special needs. Um, so we want to kind of learn a little bit more about that and want to know how your experience has motivated you to advocate for families who have similar experiences to you. So my uh, first years of my career in Puerto Rico, I worked in the human service field. Um, I went to school for social work. I knew I didn't want to do clinical social work, but I really loved human services. And I have worked in home care, loss, loss, briefment, and grief. And I thought that that's where I was going to stay. Like, I'm so sure about um, human services and social work. And when I moved to Massachusetts, my husband and I did a lot of research on where we would find the best services um, and interventions for Alexander. Um, Alexander has autism, auditory processing disorder, dyslexia, ADHD. We did our research and we were very lucky that the Massachusetts education system is really good. Well, for some, there's, I have done a lot of research (laughs) after that. Um, There's actually a report that it's it's really for some and not for brown and and black kids. Um, But with the research that I found, we were very lucky that we had family. My husband had his parents and he had some family in Boston and we decided to move. And I thought, you know, with the experiences that I had in uh, Puerto Rico, also being very aware that the difficult experiences with the education system in Puerto Rico came because Puerto Rico doesn't get the equal funding that states um, here in the U.S. get. So I, I was very excited. And I remember the first IEP meeting. So I submitted the paperwork. Alex had all done all his evaluations. And on the first meeting, I requested a translator. And I spoke in Spanish because I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Let me make sure. So I spoke in Spanish and the special ed coordinator, well, the director um, was talking with the team and she was asking the translator to tell me uh, something different. Mm-hmm. So they were having this big conversation. They didn't yeah. know that you understood. 
Yes. And the, the translator was not, you know, she wasn't, Spanish was not her native language. She was a white woman. And I, you know, they were talking about, oh, he should get this. And the teachers were so, well, he should get more speech. And she was like, oh, that's too expensive. Tell her this and this. And I'm just like, knitting, mm, <laughs> taking little notes <laughs> in my yeah. notebook. Oh, yeah. And at the end, they are like, okay, so this is the, the special ed plan. This is the IEP. You just sign in. And I'm like, in English. So let's go back to, uh, you know, yeah. how about speech three times a week, blah, blah, blah. What were their faces like? Oh. How about we get all those oh, expensive my. services we talked about? I'm going to need those in the IEP. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. So this evaluation, let me let me get it out of my purse. <laughs> Highlighted. I love it. They gave it. me in English, knowing that they were required to give them in Spanish. And I'm calling them out. And the bell is ringing. And I'm like, oh, no, we're not moving we're doing this now. And after that, they were like, oh, but, but we need to schedule another meeting. No, we're not because you made me waste 45 minutes lying to me. So we're going to have this conversation right now. Good for you. And then I went, I walked to my son's pediatrician's office who was across the street, Dr. Ann, I'm right or die for Dr. Ann. And, he, you know, he is Asian, uh, he's Chinese American. And we had talked about it. He had prepared me for the meeting. And he had the same experiences with his child. So I was like, Dr. Ann, this happened and you were right. Um, and that was the, the first time I realized that just because I had access to the services, it meant that they were going to be equitable. And what I decided to do was I was working nights um, in an education uh in a human service nonprofit. So I decided to start providing translation services for Latinx parents going through the IEP. So the school was doing translation and I was doing it too. And then I got a certification to be a parent advocate. And I, as I, I a year later, I was like, wait, like I can do this. <laughs> and I decided to use my transferable skills to get into the education field from the human service field. And I thought, well, I'm not a teacher. I am not an educator, but I got all this knowledge, all this experience professionally, but also right. as a parent, right. how can, like, please someone take me. And I, <laughs> I, I found a, a great educational nonprofit where I was managing their, um, intergenerational program um, that had older adults go into classrooms to support uh, preschool teachers. So I was bringing my management leadership experience, nonprofit experience, and working with older adults to support children and underrepresented uh, communities and classrooms. So I was able to to transfer my skill set from the human service and social work field into education. And I love, I love the education field. Most of my clients, um, nonprofit clients are youth work and education. Um, and it uh, also helped me learn a lot of the education system and the inequities to be able to better support my son. And then my, my daughter, she's now in third grade and know that just because she doesn't have an IEP or she doesn't need special ed services does not mean that 
her needs and the inequities that happen in the community and socially don't affect her in school. So I'm able to advocate for her and advocate for um, other students of color too. I love that. It's it's just, it's amazing how, you know, sin querer creando all your skill sets, your experience as a professional, um, you know, in the nonprofit sector and as a mom, they all kind of intertwine here. And um, and I, it just sounds like a beautiful passion of, of yours, just now being an advocate for parents. So with that, do you have any any resources that you can share with our, our audience about where to look, how to find services, uh, particularly in Espanol, you know, because our, our community needs it and they don't know where to turn. Yeah, so I recommend, my husband and I had to become um, special ed advocates just to um, get services for Alexander because they don't help you navigate the, you know, they send you 10 page, 12 page, 15, 30 page evaluations with these numbers. And I think it goes back to acknowledging that privilege that I had a background in social work. So I wasn't doing educational assessments, but I understood the assessments. I knew how to read them. I knew how to interpret the data. Um, I, I had a, a, you know, educational background to be able to to understand that. What I've I've come across with many families and doing um, education advocacy is that it goes back to what we talked before, right? It's like, oh well, we have to be very thankful. We're so thankful we have a job. We're so thankful we have a salary. So thankful we have health insurance. And with uh, with parents with children with special education especially Latinos, we're so thankful that we're getting speech. But, you know, you have talked to, I would say, first of all, find who the special education advocate is. Know that there is laws to protect you and that require every district in the U.S. to provide the information in your language, number one. Even if, if you speak English, if you need it in your language, they need to provide it. No one can ever rush you to sign a special education um, placement or an uh, individualized plan. So if you're not sure, don't sign it. You can always go back. You can always request changes. Connect with an advocate. Connect with an advocate of, uh, that speaks your language. And if they don't have it, they are required by federal law to get someone. Don't feel like your pressure. They don't have the. They have the resources. They have the funding. So um, know that when funding is put, um, and you work in nonprofits too, when funding is put in a line item, think of it as a bucket. You cannot move it to another bucket. You have to use that funding. And then a website that I really, really love is understood.org. It, I would say sign up for the newsletter because you get news uh, and articles every day, but it's made not just for educators, but also for parents and the students. So now my son is turning 14 next month. Um, it has been very helpful to use that website to talk to him about autism throughout the years. 
and for him to under now that he's going to high school oh my god i'm gonna die <laughs> now that he's I, I <laughs> like you irene i know i i was like offline telling this girl is my twin <laughs> <laughs> i have a 14 year old and my husband is in marketing and design and i've been oh on for 20 years and i'm just like oh my god we are like twins. <laughs> like this is like but yeah oh my god when your baby goes to high school i know i know yeah it's i can't we had a uh, talk to the guidance counselor this week and I just cried after. <laughs> so it's very helpful. Understood.org is very helpful and they have all the content in Spanish too. Mm. Um, so it's helpful for everyone, for educators, um, for nonprofit professionals, for parents and families. It helps you to talk to family members about uh your child with disabilities and special needs. And it also has content for young students. My daughter, who's in third grade, my daughter has sat with me to read some of the articles. So she understands her brother even more. So she understands why Alexander doesn't like to hug her or why it's difficult for him to pay attention or, or do some things that she wants him to do. So I would recommend understood.org to anyone. Um, that would say to anyone, but if you have a, a child with disabilities, they also have printables, things to help you prepare for a meeting at the school. My son is in Scouts and um, we brought his, um, his special education plan with them and have shared readings with them. So it's a great website uh, for everyone to check out. Thank you for sharing that. So you heard it here, understood.org. Um, now, as we wrap up today, we always like to ask our guest this question. So the question is, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Um, I would say stop waiting. Just stop waiting. Just, just do it. Um, the same dreams that I have. I turned 34 two weeks ago it was the first year that I didn't cry I was depressed <laughs> um Aww. when I so when I was sick with COVID um I got sick March April and I was at the hospital and I had to give my husband the call of I'm not gonna make it okay. and I just sat there and just cried and said what have you done with your oh life I knew I knew how to be a mom. I knew how to be a wife. I knew how to be an employee. I did not know how to be Paulette because I had put everyone before me. Even and even if I had started um a, a month and a half my business, I was still prioritizing everyone else. I had never done something that was just about me, about putting joy. That's why after that, my number one value for my business is joy. And, you know, I could have started doing this at a different scale when I was 25 and, and wanted to do it. So what I would tell my 25-year-old self is, number one, if you're okay, your family will be okay. It's not the other way around. And second of all, just start. Whatever it is, just start and try it. If it if it doesn't work out, then try something else. But just to start, because I, I felt like a <laughs> like a wall that I was like building the wall and hitting myself against against it. And it it took I was it took a lot of trauma 
And look, I took a, a lot of um, co-payments to my psychologist. Um, <laughs> and um, it took almost dying to to realize that. And I wish I wish I didn't have to go through all of that. I, I wouldn't change it, but I wish I, I would have prioritized my dreams and myself um, from the beginning because now I see we've I, we've always been a happy family but now just it, our lives are so different our relationships are so different my kids are so so happy even though we live in a two-bedroom apartment outside of Boston <laughs> the four of us with a dog those things are not important anymore our family and how we spend our time and we're just full of joy even when things don't work out that way um I wish I would have realized that sooner. That is beautiful. And we can't complain about yeah. the pool girl. Yeah. You know where you live. But that was <laughs> exactly. beautiful. That was beautiful. It was very deep. And I hope that, wow, what a beautiful thing to take out of going through COVID personally. And I'm glad that you've really taken that home. And joy is one of my favorite, favorite words. Like we always somehow sneak it into the hashtag. It has nothing to do with joy, but I'm like, joy, joy. Hashtag joy. <laughs> I just love it. I love that. I think it's, it's powerful. And I hope that anybody listening today, especially those that are 25 listening to this, remember and keep what is most important in your heart because um, it's gone in a flash. So yeah. thank you for that message. Yeah. Thank you. Paula. We really appreciate you coming on today and chatting with us and sharing your nuggets. So um, before we sign off, uh, tell us about your website. How can people find you? Yeah, so you can find um, all about my business, Lead Media LLC. Um, quick, funny question. People have asked me why Lead Media why media, and I say because I know it's gonna be a media conglomerate. So I <laughs> put it in the name. I put it in the word. There you go. There you go. Yes. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In fact, you fooled me, girl. I I envisioned something different with your business. from being super duper duper honest because of the name. It took me going to the website to realize, realize like, oh, okay, got it. But I love that you went to media. I love yeah. that this conglomerate. I love it. Yeah, we're gonna have books. We're gonna have webinars. We're gonna have mass media so it 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 will be there so i i wanted to name it from the beginning uh aligned with my dream and what i i saw so you can go to www.theleadmedia.com you can also find uh lead media on instagram lead media llc you can find me at paulette pinero on instagram and my favorite platform, LinkedIn, Paulette Pinero. There's no Enya there, uh, but Paulette Pinero, find me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of articles, research uh, for professionals of color. I love connecting with folks. And you can always send me a message through the website. Send me a DM on Instagram and more than happy to connect. Thank you. We enjoyed having you today. And um, we thank you for being here and for making time uh, today on your Saturday. Uh, if you if you enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more about us or want to uh, continue the conversation, you know how to find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Level of Latina. We're also on Twitter at Latina underscore up. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation again and uh, send us send us an email or even schedule an assessment with us, go ahead and shoot us an email at admin 
at leveluplatina.com. That's our email address. So thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Again. Thank you, everybody. This was thank really you. fun. Thank you for being here, for all of your nuggets, for being so vulnerable and sharing with us your story. Oh and good God. luck to you. We appreciate thank it. you. Thank you. Any Saturday with powerful Latinas. Like yeah. <laughs> this is the dream job. This is the dream job, right? This is the dream business. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.